Hassan, football writer for The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. He of the analytical ilk. He joins 9 to noon from the 651 Carpet Studios at Arif Hassan NFL via Twitter. And um, a lot of great things at The Athletic to uh, to read about the National Football League season. My guy Stando, I did it again, but he did it late last week. And we had no, it was after 9 to noon on Friday. We had no show yesterday. Not saying it's dated, but there are other things about which to chat. Sando from The Athletic, he he chatted with executives, which means money managers or vice presidents or personnel people, general managers, people like that. And they like ranked the teams around the NFL and it was in anonymity, but still would get run nine to noon because again, I just just I I've seen him operate and and subsequently heard what like luminaries had to say and then read it a few weeks later and how it was conveyed and it was perfect. So uh, that that's something that I think people would enjoy reading. Mike Sando at um, the Athletic and theAthletic.com. and of course uh, follow Arif Hassan and all of his work. And I'd like to begin with you streaming your brilliant consciousness. What's compelling to you about Sunday's game between the Vikings and the Green Bay Packers? And good morning. Good morning. I think that uh, there's a bunch of interesting stuff about the way Kevin O'Connell wants to deploy. That offense. You and I have talked a little bit before about, hey, maybe there's some interesting ways they could use C.J. Ham uh, and stuff like that, which they haven't done in the preseason. The Packers haven't seen it yet, and that'll be, you know, kind of exciting. But beyond that, I think that just the way that that offense is going to operate, yeah, it'll be similar to what Lafleur does. It'll be similar to what McVeigh does. They've had encounters with that ilk before, but uh, O'Connell has made it really clear that this is going to be the 2022 Vikings offense. It's not going to be the 2021 Rams offense. It's not going to be you know, the 2015 Washington offense. And so how he wants to use the unique personnel that the Vikings have on hand, not just that the fact that they have a fullback and, you know, the Rams didn't, but also, you know, they've got Irv Smith, who's uniquely capable as both a blocker and a receiver, right? Which not a lot of teams have. I mean, you've got your George Kittles, right? Um, But even when you get to somebody like Travis Kelsey, an elite tight end, GMs would give their left foot to have Travis Kelsey, Right. There's some things in the blocking game he can't do. There's some things he can do. He's a good blocker when he's asked to do the things he's good at. But there's some things he can't do. But Irv Smith can do everything as a blocker. Yeah. And when you've got a player like that on the field, you have somebody who can stretch the field vertically, right? You've got somebody who can line up in line as a tight end and block down on the defensive end. You've got somebody that can, you know, move all the way across gaps, right? You know, uh, one of the one of the plays that the Vikings are actually pretty good at last year was called a split zone which is when you've got, you know, a normal zone run, right? You've got your movement all the way down the field with the offensive lineman, say, moving to the right, and your tight end is screaming across the formation going the other direction to the left and taking out that backside defender, usually a defensive end, maybe an outside linebacker, and then your running back has the ability to cut back, right? Everybody's going the opposite direction. Dalvin Cook is going in another direction. Mm. It's a great play, right? Now, when you've got somebody like Irv Smith, that's going to be a really good play because he's an excellent blocker. He's really excellent you know, running down the field, and it also creates some impressive play-action opportunities for you because everybody bites on that play. It's an effective play, and when you've got a tight end like Irv Smith, you've got a legitimate threat to blow up a defensive end. But when you've got your fast tight end moving in motion on a play-action, he's already got a full head of steam. Everybody else is already moving in the opposite direction. Now you can throw across your body. Now, quarterbacks don't like to do this, but now you can throw across your body in a way that's safe 
mm. that nobody is going in the direction of. So that's just another wrinkle you can add to the game. And there's so many different ways that O'Connell can use the unique personnel that the Vikings have to create additional opportunities. And I'm really excited to see kind of how all of those turn out. Well, with the with the tight ends, if 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 they have three active on game day, first, do you think they'll have three active? Munt, Ellefson, and Irv Smith Jr. Um, and secondly, which one do you think plays more, Ellefson or Munt? I think that uh, you'll have all three active. I think it, if the Vikings get out to a big lead early, which I, I respect Aaron Rodgers. I don't think that that's likely, but it's possible, right? The Vikings get out to a big lead early. I think you'll see Ellison out there more because you'll be running the ball more. He's a blocking tight end. Yep. He's really excellent at that sort of thing. Um, but uh, otherwise, I think that you're probably going to see Johnny Munt out there more just because he's a little bit more versatile. I mean, he doesn't have kind of the downfield range of some other tight ends around the league, but he does have really excellent opportunities catching in contested spaces, maybe on third and seven. Everybody knows you're going to the sticks. And even though you've got everybody crowded at the sticks, he's got the ability to go up to the uh, go up in the air and sky it, get the ball. Uh, and, you know, in those opportunities, you know, you'd rather have Munt on the field than Ellefson, even though I think Ellefson's actually been a pretty good uh, red zone tight end in uh, in training camp drills and stuff like that. So um, in a more even game or a game where the Vikings might be, you know, trying to catch up by a couple of points, you'll probably see Munt on the field a little bit more. And honestly, if you're you're really far behind, they're just going to get rid of Munt. They're going to put some receivers out on the field. Oh, Reef, uh, with, with so much so much old becoming new. And with the three four defense and 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 offensive minded head coach calling plays for the second time in his career, but the first as a head coach, if if one of those sides, offense or defense, was slow to go out of the gate, um, which one, which side do you think it would be more apt to 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 be a little tardy out of the gate? I think the defense, right? I I think that you've got. Not just a couple of new players, right? You've got, you know, Harrison Phillips and Zadarius Smith, and you don't really kind of know what's going to go with the back end of the safety. Um, but it's, you know, it's a completely new setup, right? The 3-4 uh, and the 4-3 are not as different as people like to think, but there's still different responsibilities. You're going to ask, you know, somebody like Daniel Hunter to maybe drop down into coverage a little bit. Um, you know, there's going to be, you know, some communication errors. The offense, they're running a fundamentally similar offense from a structural standpoint as they did in the previous number of years, it's just there's going to be some terminology differences. Yeah. The defense is running a completely different setup, right, from from a structural standpoint, from a coverage standpoint, from everything. And so everybody has to get on the same page, and I think it's just more likely that you'll see a, a couple of hiccups here and there. Arif Hassan, The Athletic, theathletic.com, at Arif Hassan NFL via Twitter. Uh, the So, so now, uh, off that question, but the other side of it, um, better off and why for the totality of the season? The the Vikings offense and or defense or green like Green Bay. Now let let's just let's start the whole thing over. Three two with the Green Bay Packers offensively sands the bailout guy and the defense. Now that I'm starting to deep dive it a little bit, I said it in the opening segment. Their play by play voice Wayne Larravee kind of just amplified at nine to noon with. Uh, Quay Walker, this T.J. Slayton's one of the NFL's most underrated players, in my opinion. Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, Rashawn Gary, his physical is bleep, and so on. The the physicality of the Green Bay front mm-hmm. seven is just something I'm just not used to seeing with them from a depth standpoint. So with them, do you think this defense, if it stays healthy, indeed will be one of the three to five best in the NFL? I think that's absolutely a possibility. I've always thought that they had a lot of talent on defense. It's just 
their ability to make sure all that talent is on the same page and make sure that they're all doing the things that they need to do with a good defensive coordinator. And I think that that's certainly possible, right? right. Um, and so the ability to combine that talent plus, you know, emerging players like Rashawn Gary, who had an excellent breakout season last year, um, you know, bringing in players like Quay Walker. You know, if we see Devontae Wyatt, it sounds like he's going to be a little bit, um, you know, slow to get on the field just because of the talent that they have along the defensive line. Yep. You know, the amount of, uh, you know, speed that they bring to bear, the amount of physicality, like you said, that they have, you know, there's, there's a real possibility that they could be potentially a top five defense. But it's one of those things where I've, I've talked about their, the talent on that defense for a while. I, I now I need to see them turn that talent into production. Does um <clears throat> does Rodgers, does Aaron Rodgers, does twelve go after Dantzler, Sullivan, or Peterson early and often? I, I think Sullivan, and not because you know there's the history of being on the same team. I just think that the way Dantzler's performed in camp, the way that he's playing, just generally speaking, he's less of a weak link. Um, the way I've seen uh, Sullivan play, you know, this is something that we talked about on Twitter a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that there's going to be some matchup problems, whether you have, you know, Alan Lazard there in the slot is kind of a bigger receiver that has the ability to, to get over him. Or you've got maybe a faster guy, you know, maybe if Sammy Watkins still has a little bit of speed to go downfield or something like that, or maybe, you know, Romeo Dubs, right? You know, they'll be able to put some matchups there where you don't always have an answer. You know, like Patrick Peterson, especially in his prime, is matchup proof. He's a big guy. He runs fast. He's agile, Right. But, you know, somebody like Shannon Sullivan, he has to rely on his agility because his downfield speed isn't quite there. His size isn't quite there compared to some of the matchup problems. So I think that, you know, Aaron Rodgers loves to hunt matchups, I think more than almost any other quarterback in the NFL. And I think that he'll probably go after Shannon Sullivan. Now, do you do you, do you do you feel the identity of the Minnesota Vikings at this stage of the equation where the identity will shape itself once they start playing games? But with the names of the players and being a fantasy football culture in the first place, would you say offense is the absolute identity of the 2022 Minnesota Vikings? I, I think so. You take a look at the past couple of years, and the offense has outperformed the defense, but you couldn't really say that the identity of the team was the offense, just by you know, the way they prioritized things, the way they talked about things, the way they prepared um, and now I, I think certainly it is, you know, there's always going to be, you know, some sense of a team being good on one side of the ball or the other focus on one side of the ball or the other. And I don't want to suggest that O'Connell is neglecting the defense. I mean, they've invested a lot of resources into that defense. First two picks, for example. Right. Yeah. But I think that the reason that they brought in O'Connell is because they had really great offensive personnel already. They just wanted to unlock it. And I think that 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 focus is going to mean that the way that the Vikings operate as an organization is going to be offensively driven, whether that's throwing the ball in the air or early in games or running the ball late. Whatever it is they do, it's going to be run through what their offense is capable of. Cousins, Rodgers, along with Lewis Seen, Cam Bynum, and Eric Kendricks will be part of the conversation when we return to FM 100.3 KFAM. Arif Hassan, the analytical side of uh, the Vikings and Green Bay Packers, along with um, uh, The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. It's a wonderful place to uh, stay up to beat and up to speed on not only the Vikings, but the NFL. More with a reef around the corner. To listen to the fan. I can say I'm finally comfortable to where I can go out there and compete, smile, have fun, and not be too serious. Now I'm, I'm in the point where I'm just having fun and um, it's everything is second nature as far as different coverages and where I need to be at on certain plays and that's when football become fun and I can and go out there and do everything in my best to make plays. 
Sammy Watkins, former Bill, former Chief, former Ram, a member of the Green Bay Packers, and uh, their receiving situation is in a little bit of question. The uh, the NDSU second rounder, Christian Watson's not practicing, and if he is uh, with the team, and like with the ones or twos, then that would be new. Alan Lazard supposedly has a lower body injury, so he he's in question for Sunday. And uh, then after that, you got uh, Randall Cobb, Amari Rogers, et cetera, and Sammy Watkins catching passes from Aaron Rodgers, and um, I'm throwing verbal passes to Arif Hassan from The Athletic and TheAthletic.com, at Arif Hassan NFL via Twitter. In in this particular game, who throws more passes and why? Cousins or Rodgers? Uh, I'll go with uh, Cousins. I mean, the Packers obviously have an elite Hall of Fame quarterback, but... Uh, one of the things that they've tried to emphasize over the past couple of years is how well they can establish the run. They have two starting quality running backs, which is pretty unusual around the league, especially with elite passers, and they really want to make sure that that running game develops into a huge threat for them, which it has over the past couple of years, and they've run, I think, a lot more than people uh, remember, if you take a look. So um, I think that that's on the table, and then also I think that you know this is a little bit more of a pass-happy offense. If if you take a look at which teams were more, most likely to throw the ball in neutral situations on first and ten last year, uh, ranked fifth was the L.A. Rams. You know, mm-hmm. they're their team, and, and well above, you know, the Packers. They're a team that love to throw the ball. And I think that while we're not going to get the pass happiness the Rams had last year, again, 2022 Vikings offense, not 2021 Rams offense, Yeah, um, I think we're going to get some elements of that. So I think Rodgers is going to pass the ball more in an even game. And I think that, you know, the Packers are favored by a little bit, so the Vikings are more likely to be, you know, a little bit behind every so often. And from there, they'll probably throw the ball a little bit more. Well, that and and you touched on something that is super fascinating to me uh, with with Kevin O'Connell and the head coach calling the plays with with uh, talented players or or a roster of offensive players he didn't have when he was with uh, Washington calling plays uh, like half a decade ago. Is I mean, Kevin, the former quarterback. And and being aggressive by nature, happy-go-lucky, and to a certain extent quirky, but calculated and happy-go-lucky, I think would be identifiable with Kevin. But you know he wants to throw, and you know he wants to throw a lot. And it's just, I mean, that is human nature, being who he is and whence he has come. And with the skill, the skill guys he has, he's going to want to throw a lot. Obviously, balance needs to be found during the uh, course of the equation. But... Um, how excited do you sense he is to call plays in this game with with these guys against that team? Families in the stands. It's packed. It's a mm-hmm. border battle. It's loud. Mm-hmm. Man, he. I mean, seriously, you, you know he wants to throw the ball a million times. Yeah, and and I think uh, you know that excitement. I think part of that will be you know it's been the first time he's called plays since what was it 2014? It's been a long time. Mm, um, maybe 19. Maybe 19. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, oh yeah, because was, McVay had left. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, that and makes it was sense, yeah. That, that Thursday night that um, the the late Dwayne Haskins right came in here with Washington, and mm-hmm. they got these these defensive beef eaters. It was, that was like the theme of 2019. Like, yeah, yeah, like Tim Settle, Matt Ioannidis, uh, then Denver Shelby Harris, uh, Derek. Are you kidding me with right. these guys? Like the right. anonymity, just, just wrecking things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I I think that he's going to be kind of really excited to make his mark get rid of kind of the memories of the 2019 Washington season where, you know, the play calling was not you know spectacular on his part uh, and the offense was not spectacular on his part. Now he has a bunch of shiny new toys. Uh, he's got, you know, all pro level talents in, in Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook, and he wants to be able to showcase them 
in ways that are unique, in ways that kind of demonstrate what he has the ability to do as an offensive playmaker. You know, maybe get the ball in Delvin Cook's hands in space instead of just behind the line of scrimmage. I think that he's going to be excited to throw the ball a little bit, but he's also very cognizant of the, you know, impact that balance has. I mean, he remembers, you know, what's happened to the Rams when they haven't had access to the running game that they typically have access to. And he knows that when you've got a quarterback that relies on play action, that you at least have to show the types of run looks that are paired with play action in order for that to be effective. So he's going to find some element of balance, but absolutely I think that he's going to be excited to throw the ball. When you when, when you all 22 duh, back any form of the preseason games, did you see any offensive plays there that you think we will see in regular season games? Yeah, I, I think that, well, first I think the – the the basics or the foundations of the offense, even those were hidden a little bit in the preseason, right? We only saw three snaps from the fullback in the preseason. That's not going to happen in the regular season, right? Um, we didn't see, you know, the starters in, in in its full capacity. We didn't see the running backs get involved, as involved in the passing game in the exact same way you'd expect Dalvin Cook. But I do think, you know, the the types of motions that we saw in the preseason, you know, moving back across the line of scrimmage, um, you know, creating problems with the eye discipline on the defense. I think we're going to see a little bit of that. I think, uh, you know, the stuff that kind of looked like tap passes or uh, the possibility of tap passes, that's when the quarterback receives the ball and shotgun and then immediately shovels it off to a player in motion that that's counted as a pass, even yep. though it basically operates like a run play. You know, I think we're going to see some elements of that where you're going to get a player, probably Justin Jefferson, but sometimes, you know, somebody like an Adam Thielen even who who's done that a lot for the Vikings in the past. Um, you know, get into space on a passing play where everybody's flowing in the wrong direction. You know, I'm excited to see that kind of stuff because the the thing that that O'Connell impressed upon you know us in the press when he's describing his offense is that they want the defense to defend every blade of grass. That doesn't just mean making sure that the defense defends you know vertically down the field, making sure that they defend those 20, 25, 30 yard passes. But also making sure that they defend uh, what is it, fifty six and a half yards, fifty six and a third yards wide. Yeah. They want to defend every blade of grass horizontally as well. Make sure that the defense is accounting for every element that a, that a play can be on every single play. And this goes back to the introductory pressure when you talked about the illusion of complexity to make sure that every play looks different, even if it's the same. Uh, and so I, those are the elements that excite me the most, and they're really difficult to draw from the preseason. But some of those things where you've got kind of that motion behind the line of scrimmage where you where your players end up in the same spots that they did three plays ago, but the defense doesn't expect it because they started in different spots. Mm. That stuff is exciting. Me. That's beautiful. Uh, defensively, do you expect rookie Lewis seen to give much defense run this game? Uh, I, I expect him certainly to get some defensive run. I don't think I expect very much of it. I think that it, it, it took a while for him to get online in training camp. I, I think that the way he ended camp was pretty strong. But I think it indicates that there's still more in terms of trusting his eyes, learning the defense, and and combining those two things, his instincts and his learning, within the within the framework of that defense before they can trust him to have him out there for maybe two-thirds of the game or something like that. But they are really excited about the opportunity to put three safeties on the field in a bunch of different ways. And and I think that that excitement is going to allow them to experiment with stuff like maybe helping out Shannon Sullivan by putting a safety on top of him. Yeah. Maybe having some dime looks when the Packers decide not to put, uh, you know, Aaron Jones and Josiah DeGuara on the field at the same time. If they know that, you know, the Packers are passing the ball, maybe they'll say, hey, we're only going to have one linebacker on the field and we know that we can stop what you're going to be able to do with that. Um, so I think we're going to see some unique opportunities for players like Lewis Seen, but I don't think we're going to see a ton of it early on in the season. What uh, what what did Bynum do to beat Seen out of the starting job? 
he just was where he needed to be when he needed to be there. Yeah. Right. I, I think that that is such an underrated element of safety play, even when we're discussing, you know, well-established safeties. I mean, you know, very often, you know, fans will ask, man, why is, you know, for example, Andrew Sandejo out there on the field? Why is, uh, you know, Madhu Williams out mm-hmm. on the field? Right. And, and, and while I think that there are certainly weaknesses to their play, right. You know, certainly the Vikings tried to move on, you know, when they could, uh, one of the reasons they kept on earning starting jobs is because they were where they needed to be. Because if you have a safety that doesn't know where they need to be and get there when they need to be there, it's going to look a lot worse, and you're not yeah. even going to know why. Like, like 2020, Anthony Harris. I mean, he had those seven picks, I think, in 19. Mm-hmm. 2020 was a problem for him. And and to the naked eye, you would see Harrison Smith just sprinting yeah. to like save the day so many times, mm-hmm. and people would hammer on Harry being like, Hey, you know, hey, you're you're late to the play. What's like, going bro, on? Now Harry ain't late. Harry yeah. might be late to three plays the whole year. He's, <laughs> he's making up for Harris. And uh, to your safety point, I mean, it's debilitating when you got one safety who doesn't get it. Yeah, and 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 that's the most like it's it's in the name of the position, right? Yeah. You're the last line of defense. Your job is to make sure that the play doesn't break down more than anything else, right? A defensive end's job is to create chaos, to disrupt. Sometimes they'll be out of their rushing lane. Sometimes they'll, you know, improvise, and everybody else just kind of has to deal with that. That's their job. The safety's job very often is the opposite. That doesn't mean they can't cause chaos. I mean, who's been better at causing chaos than Harrison Smith over the last five years? Right. But they need to make sure that the rest of the defense doesn't have some sort of critical element of failure Every single time they step on the field, it's a high-stress position, and you don't get the opportunity to get to the ball or get to the ball, a ball carrier very often. And so um, your job is to both be patient, be instinctive, and be fast, right? And that is so hard to combine, all of those things at once. It is Arif Hassan, time for two more. Is it a cinch Kendricks leads the team in tackles, given the Vikings are going to be playing a fair amount of 3-4? I think that, yeah, I think that you could pencil that in, right? I think that when the Vikings go dime, it's Jordan Hicks coming off the field. I think that when you're trying to funnel running backs into linebackers, you want Jordan Hicks to be the one taking on the blocks and Eric Kendricks to be the one getting around the blockers. And sometimes you can manipulate your defensive front to make sure that you get your best tackler the best free shot at a running back. And I think that that's what they're going to try to do. Um, You know, sometimes it's the safety. You know, Harrison Smith could do it. Um, but I think primarily they're going to be organizing the run defense around Eric Hendricks. Plus, he's always going to be around the ball carrier, whether it's a passing play or a running play. So yep. I, I think that that's a, a pretty good bet. Uh, lastly, Darrisaw, Cleveland, Bradbury, the rookie Ingram, and O'Neal. Overall, the Minnesota moving company, uh, the offensive line. What do you think of the offensive line, and what are the strengths? Uh, better. Um, I, I don't think that you can put them in elite or even necessarily above average territory yet, but I think that the state that the offensive line has been, average I think would be a godsend to a lot of Vikings fans, for sure. And I think that where they're strong at is where you want to be strong. It's at the tackle position. I think, you know, Brian O'Neill, we all know he's a top five right tackle across the league. Maybe he'll make that ascension into into top three, top two territory. Uh, Christian Derrissaw, you know, there, we've heard a lot of plaudits in, in the preseason, the offseason, comparisons to Trent Williams. I think you know that that might be a little aggressive, but you know what we saw uh, in in his games healthy last year was really excellent stuff, and that carried over into uh, the preseason and training camp, especially against you know the San Francisco Forty ers and joint practices. Pretty difficult scenario to shine, and yeah. I, I thought he did a pretty good job there. 
Um, so that that's a good spot to be. I really do like Ezra Cleveland. I think that he's not discussed enough as somebody who's improved every year, Agreed. especially at that left guard position. He's doing a pretty good job. My worry is you've got a rookie right guard in Ed Ingram, and, and you've got Garrett Bradbury. He's had a number of issues in pass protection over the years. That's where you're weakest. And honestly, people overrate the 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 impact of that kind of weakness. But it's still a big one. And, and, it's massive. Yeah, and, yeah. And if you're if you're not blocking pass rushing beef eaters in the middle, mm-hmm. I mean that that's what with with OCU Manure and Justin Tuck, that's what ruined a Super Bowl for yeah. Tom Brady. The middle pressure, the NASCAR package. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when Zimmer went Daniel and Everson inside under the cover of darkness in the Saints playoff game, that's what ruined that game long enough. So the Vikings, uh, Stefanski and the Vikings could open the lead yeah. and fend the challenge of uh, the Saints uh, come uh, charging at them. Yeah, and, and it's a little bit different if you've got a quarterback like a Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson who's got the ability to bail out of the middle. Uh, with Kirk Cousins, who can run a little bit better than I think a, a lot of people think, you don't have the kind of mobility against interior pressure. You're going to have to rely on subtle movements more than big movements in order to get out of that, and that's much easier to deal with when it's edge pressure. Still, edge pressure... Historically, has mattered more than interior pressure, but if you don't have an answer to it, it can ruin some games. Love having you around. Uh, thanks for the commentary, and I'll see you next week, okay? Happy to be here. Arif Hassan, The Athletic, theathletic.com. Subscribe for uh, just a few dollars a month. Uh, yours truly has since uh, uh, the inception of, of said concept, and uh, it's theathletic.com. Uh, he is with 9 to noon each and every Tuesday. Second half of the presentation is around the corner. KFAN. What up, News to Nord? Each and every weekday, News to Nord brought to you by Canterbury's Card Casino, Poker, Blackjack, and Table Games all year round. Still a handful of live racing days as well. Saturday is Festival of Champions Day. It's uh, nothing but Minnesota breads. Uh, Those who come to Canterbury know exactly what I'm talking about. But the, the, the reason I'm taking time to stamp that now is it's Saturday at 4 o'clock. So Saturday, we're racing at 4. Festival of Champions Day is Canterbury Immortality. It's my favorite day of the season because there are so many Minnesotans who believe in horse racing in Minnesota. They breed horses and they own horses, and they keep the game vibrant here from a state-bred standpoint. Now, these Festival of Champions Days, most times, like we have 12 races beginning at 4 o'clock Saturday. And 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 we the the purse money is is well over a half million dollars for these owners and these horses, but over the course of the last X amount of years, Festival of Champions Day and these big hundred thousand dollar races, they've frequently come up with fields that are smaller than I expected, and in each of the divisions, fillies, colts, two year olds, what whatever turf, whatever, there has been one horse in like two or three of the divisions who's just unbeatable and like is super heavily favored and wins by four or five lengths and 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 it it really takes away from the stimulation or the compelling nature of making money with your mind well that's not the case this year that these are the this is the deepest and fullest fields that i've seen for festival of champions day maybe in my nearly 30 years calling races there 
We we have some outstanding horses who can win these races at five, six, seven, eight, ten, fifteen to one, mired in races of eight, ten, twelve, fourteen horses, and the opportunity to make money with your mind is terrific. But the competitive nature of these races. It's just something I rarely have seen in my 30 or 28 calling races there. So I point it out because Saturday at 4 o'clock, if you want to come see something that is super competitive with big payoffs and big fields with big league racing, uh, we're going to have it Saturday at 4 o'clock, CanterburyPark.com, to save uh, a couple of bucks on admission, though. Number one. We'll start with tennis. Potentially Sayonara Serena. Serena Williams. She has 23 Grand Slam titles. That's one shy of the all-time record. I think she's Australian. Uh, Margaret Court, between 1960 and 1973, has 24. But at any rate, Serena Williams, considered by many to be the greatest female tennis player of all time, uh, and it may have been her final appearance as a professional at Flushing Meadows, uh, she lost in the U.S. Open in the third round, and I'm going to butcher this name, Aya Tomjanovic. Friday night, staved off five match points. It was a three-hour-plus affair. Couldn't get it done. She's out. Serena Williams and the impact that she's had on the game of tennis, uh, pretty uh, pretty indisputable. Yeah, well, it, it absolutely is. And and with Serena and Venus, the way they've impacted children and, and the programs that they've run and the way... They have gotten specifically black kids interested in tennis. It's that's fantastic. You know, I don't I don't really know of that over because I could sit here and take the other side of the coin and believe I would be accurate. It would be here's the reality. And I believe it's the reality because I've seen it all. Tennis lacks personality. Okay, and tennis at one point with McEnroe and Lendl and Borg and Garolitis and Roscoe Tanner and Jimmy Connors and Chris Everett uh, and Tracy Austin, Martina Navratilova, it had an aura that, and, and up to Andre Agassi, it had an aura that cannot be replicated for whatever the reason. So therefore, when you have like Serena and Venus Williams, and they're not the most loquacious individuals in the world, but their impact is deeper away from the court than maybe some of those players that I mentioned in the past. So there are two ways to look at it. Popularity or lack thereof and compelling nature, certainly lack thereof, of the game with the fuzzy balls. And and the personalities it used to have compared to the lack of true personality it has now but then the impact away from the game made by some of these luminaries i believe is markedly greater than it was 20 30 years ago and and for me that would matter most and indeed be as you said indisputable number two Minnesota Twins lose 5-2. Gary Sanchez homered in his old spot, the former Yankee. He made it 2-2 yesterday in the fifth inning against the Bronx Bombers, but then this happened. And the right-handed deal swung on. There goes the deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone. I have never seen a player have a year like this. Unbelievable. I'm just hoping that that was the highlight. Who was it, Judge? It was Judge, oh, yeah. yeah. But that's that's the issue I have is I wanted to hear all oh, rise yeah. for the Judge. Yeah. So I don't know if if the highlight service edited that out, which is I mean just 
a crime Aaron, if you did. Aaron Judge is unbelievable. Uh, he he's unbelievable. And one of the uh, when when Wobble joins because he, he's baseball trained in 15 minutes. One of the questions is, uh, will be honestly, how do you pitch Aaron Judge? I mean, seriously, how do you pitch to Aaron Judge? Yeah, and his 54th home run, as wow. you heard that highlight there, WFAN. Uh, it's the third most home runs through this many games in a season. Uh, Bonds had 57 or something in 2001 back in those days when everybody was hitting 50-plus. So what a year for Aaron Judge. Uh, Archer went five innings, so that's positive, but uh, ultimately 5-2 the final. Twins couldn't get it done. They're a game back from the Guardians. It is Joe Ryan and Garrett Cole tonight at 6. You can watch it nationally on TBS. Uh, Three more of these things before we come home to host (laughs) Cleveland and KC. I mean... The 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 baseball god could not give us a two or three game series. It had to be four, right? It had to be four, and we had to put ourselves in a position where wow. each one of these is a kick in the pants, considering what the Guardians can do each and every night on their side. These the and the Guardians are diseased. Okay, that that punchless bunch. I mean, seriously, I think it was Seattle that just went there and taught them a lesson. And I don't know who they're playing now, but they're going to get taught lessons because now they're not pitching. Jose Ramirez. Um, is I don't know what happened to Jose Ramirez's game, but it's disease. Now watch him get hot starting today. But nevertheless, like the con referenced or intimated, that there's an opportunity right here to run away from somebody who is lollygagging along kind of like you are. These games against the New York Yankees, and I don't care what the record is this year, and I know we had, we had a chance earlier in the season to meatloaf them when they were at Target Field. The games against the Yankees are decided when the freaking schedule comes out. And it doesn't matter who's pitching or who's hitting. It's just a right of late summer, early spring. We ain't beating the pinstripes when when uh, when when the metaphorical money is on the line. And that that's kind of what yesterday's matinee looked like. Absolutely. Continuing on. Number three. Uh, by the way, the uh, the Cleveland Guardians are at KC, so it yep. just has to be that matchup. We'll see where they're getting one. They won yesterday in yep. extras. They got two more there. Yeah, go ahead and sleep on Salvador Perez and watch him hit a grand slam, and then all of a sudden, if somebody scores four on you, you're in trouble, Cleveland, because you can't score. To the Big Ten, we know the Gophers uh, handled business in their opener last Thursday, but there was actually. A couple of fun games this weekend, including Big Ten teams. Wisconsin, that was not fun. They blew out, uh, I think it was Illinois State, 38 nothing. Nebraska bounced back. But Iowa hosting South Dakota State and the freaking Jackrabbits, man. It was ugly as hell. 286 yards of total offense in the game between the two teams. 16 total first downs. And it combined 7 of 33 on third down. It was tied 3-3 at the half. Two safeties. That was the difference in the game. The Jackrabbits had a chance to upset Iowa, but it was two safeties, one in the third quarter, one in the fourth quarter. So if you're just looking at scores, you're like, oh, Iowa won uh, just an absolute, yeah, sloppy-ass game, but they won 7-3. Four of those points came by way of safeties. You're telling me an early season non-conference final score in college football was seven to three. That is correct. That's embarrassing. That's ridiculous. Yeah, sub three hundred between the two teams in offense. Gophers had what four and change in their opener. Seven to thirty three on third down. Yeah, uh, just brutal. You got uh, Scott Frost team in there. 
uh, they bounced back against North Carolina or North Dakota, excuse yeah. me, after yeah. it looked like they were potentially going to go 0 for 2, and then they right. jumped out and, and finished it off. I'm, but, I'm watching every time I, I cast my gaze the way of that game in the CBY track plaque. It's there was a North Dakota player just running loose all over the field <laughs> with missed tackles and green helmets and white jerseys just all over the place. And Scott Frost kept putting his his face in the palms of his hands. And you know the uh, the, the the Nebraska. Well, let's put it this way: in Lincoln, Nebraska, man, that thing's everything. It's 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 Cornhuskers oh, yeah. football in Lincoln. It is every single thing to everybody in the town year round. And they get the money, but man, do I, from what I understand, because I know people who live down there, uh, where the saloons full of the Isaacs and the eight drinks, they were just absolutely infuriated that the score was that close against North Dakota, even though nobody knows anything about North Dakota. But what it leads to is how negative ass they are on Scott Frost, the coach of that team. And perhaps I should have known this. And it's not like, you know, Tom Osborne is blushing at some things Scott Frost does. But wow, is that uh, is that football factory negative on their coach? Holy God. Yeah, hideous. And it was tied at 17 with four minutes to go in the third quarter. Yeah. So, again, they did pull away. Oh, they did? But the corner, yeah, it was 38-17. They oh, scored three straight touchdowns to pull away. But, uh, yeah, the part of the game I was watching, green helmets, white jerseys, yeah. shorter guys. Don't look like they, they belong playing football. Just making guys miss wearing the red jerseys all up in the biatch. Well, I assume North Dakota is where some of the kids up there go if they're not able to make it onto NDSU. Okay, uh, 740 The Fan, part of the vast and ever-expanding Love Governor Radio Network. If you reach into, or whatever our affiliate is in, in Grand Forks, Please note that comment came from the producer, the con, and not the host, Paul Allen. So therefore, I can look at at PA on the mic for the next three days <laughs> and not have to say RIP my mentions. Say it again. What'd you say? Those who go to North Dakota. For football, yes. For football, go there because they weren't good enough to play for the Bison. I assume that's the case. Okay, it's just, it's, it's never been uttered in the history of this radio show, and I think it was beautiful. <laughs> hey, I love the Fighting Hawks. Yeah, uh, yeah that's, that is their current name. Take it a step Absolutely. farther. This Duluth hockey team for Sandlin's gotten so good <laughs> because everybody who skates on that team can't get into the University of Minnesota because their grade point average isn't good enough. <laughs> oh, by the way. Oh, check the banners, though. I'm sure Sandlin's crew, Sam. Matt Producer also looks at St. Cloud State hockey as junior college compared to the U. Hey! <laughs> and I said none of it. Number four. <laughs> Uh, oh, by the way, uh, go for football weekly with PJ Flex. Going to be at noon today. That should be Grim and JG. So catch up wait. with the head coach. He talked with the media yesterday, but you're going to hear it uh, straight from the coach's mouth right here on your home for Gophers football. The fan number four. Uh, I played that audio bit to start last segment with uh, with Arif Hassan, but I did want to continue down this road. Here's Sammy Watkins talking about wide receiver of the Green Bay Packers. Talking about rookie Christian Watson. It's about the little things. He's, he got to just focus on that. And once he get that down, Christian will be fine. He's just, he's a top receiver. They picked him second round for a reason. Um, he got just as well as talent as me and any guy in the room. So um, he's going to be prepared. 
And then here's Christian Watson getting prepared to play his first NFL game. You know, I feel like there'll be a little bit of nerve there, you know, it being my first one, but, you know, I'm confident in myself. You know, I'm confident, you know, in the playbook and everything. And if I do get the chance, you know, I feel like I'll be ready to go. You think North Dakota offered Christian Watson and then he opted to go to NDSU? <laughs> hey, I'm going to tell you this right now. <laughs> I mean, the decision Carson Wentz was so perplexed between which school, school to go to. <laughs> That why he chose NDSU and see with, with Carson and uh, the Emmanuel Cat, the, the defensive end who was drafted by the Chargers, forgot his name. You know, players like that. It's when the rubber met the road with the decision between whatever the team's mascot or name is now might be fighting Hawks or the Bison. If they go north, young man, the whole thing is flipped, <laughs> and and it's it's Grand Forks. Go crazy and welcome to Frisco, Texas. But because Carson Wentz opted the Bismarck kid to go to to Fargo, 740 the fan, it led people like you to saying what you just said. If you can't cut it at North Dakota State University, hey, the 1A is North Dakota, so you might as well go there. Yes! That is your dagger. And uh, what do I have? Oh, yeah, Packers, one-and-a-half-point favorites. This is from Scores and Odds, total at 47. Uh, Some NFL bits and pieces just to finish. Uh, News to Nord, brought to you by Kent. What's what's the over-under? 47 is the total. Hey! Scores and Odds. Yeah, that's... um, Are you feeling under or over in this game? I feel... um, Like quick twitch. I feel... Well, I, I never would be one to jump on here and stamp... You know, hey, take your money and bet it on this on a Vikings game. Oh, very right. good point. Yeah, the, well, the, it's no, I've, I've done it before, but it's the age of rage. Right. It's 2022. The shield is awfully shiny. And and if knees are going to get chopped, I'd prefer to do it on my own. So therefore, we'll leave that at that. But you know what? When it uh, when it. When it comes to observing and or analyzing the flow or what type of a game using words from the English language, which everybody can use at any time and not and not get chopped off at the knees. Right. I would say I will be shocked if this game is not of the underwhelming variety. Be there at 1230. Have axe. We'll travel. Wobble next.